0: Friends, I invite you to take your Bibles and open with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. We'll read and study together verses 18 through 25. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. If you're visiting with us this morning, this isn't our regular book that we're studying through at the moment. Each Sunday we study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through entire books of the Bible, Yet on this Lord's Day, we're taking a one week break from our regular series to consider the incarnation of Christ, God who took on flesh and dwelt in the midst of his people. As we study this together, it's my prayer that you're encouraged, that the church is comforted, and that Christ is proclaimed. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. This is the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The word of the Lord, may he give our minds and hearts a full consideration of it. May we be a people who would behold the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we study the truth of Scripture In its miraculous facts, Lord, we pray that you would bend our hearts to worship the one who is proclaimed. That we would know Jesus, the fullness of his person. Oh Lord, that we would receive him as our Lord and as our Savior. We pray this all in Jesus' holy name. Amen. All of us have been considering Christmas. The whole world has been considering Christmas in a number of different ways for many. They think of trees. They think of garland and decoration. Some think of what they'll get, what they wish they had. Others, in faith, they think on the miraculous. They think on a manger. They think on a mad king bent to destroy the smallest among the people of Israel. Some think on gifts given by wise men who traveled a great distance, and yet others think on shepherds. But friends, do we ever think on this that we've just read? The shock, the surprise, the momentary heartbreak of Joseph, who was then comforted by the testimony of who Christ is. You see, Joseph was a man, as we just read, betrothed to Mary. Now, this is a biblical way to describe what we would call engagement today. And in the biblical era, this was much more serious. It was legal in its nature. Betrothal or engagement was not just a period for people to begin to plan a wedding. Rather, it was a time of preparation. Legal preparation, financial preparation, the building of a house, possibly even the gathering of goods for the wife or the bride-to-be to give as a dowry to the family of the husband. It was a serious time, but it was a time governed by an agreement. One family covenanting with another family to become one together by the act of marriage. And what we've just read is that Joseph learned that his bride to be, this woman that is so seriously connected to him that he can already be called her husband and can be said to consider a divorce before they have even consummated the marriage, he's heard that this woman has a child within her. And it's serious. And there is, if we are reading this with any sense, in any honesty, very sincerely, the probability that he feels at least a little bit betrayed. The scriptures don't say this, however, it does tell us that he considered what he would do. How he would deal with this. He probably assumes what is, well natural and even honest, that Mary has been unfaithful. Friends, that's just normal. It's natural. It's sensible. But what the Bible tells us is that Mary's circumstances were not natural. They were not normal. In fact, they were supernatural. A miraculous thing has happened In her virginity, she conceived and bore a child by the power of God, the Holy Spirit. But Joseph doesn't know it yet. And he's struggling and he's thinking, what do I do with this woman? The scripture text tells us that he's a righteous man. He cares about her. He cares about God's opinion. He cares about his own marriage he cares about the way he engages either with a sinful wife or one that is prepared for marriage. He's thinking maybe he'll just silently put her away. He'll have a quiet divorce. He won't bring shame upon shame on this young woman who he loves, yet who has put him in the circumstance of great confusion and even sadness. What we read was that an angel came and spoke to Joseph in a dream. And the things that he said calmed Joseph tremendously. And it painted a picture of hope and blessing to him. And the thing that he told him was who this child is in very simple terms. And he did so by giving to Joseph the twofold name of Jesus, Emmanuel here in this angelic dream, in this vision, in this blessing. And so this morning, this afternoon, as we study this passage of Scripture about the two names of Jesus and Emmanuel, that I want you to see that the comfort of the Lord is that he came to reconcile us, firstly, and to comfort us secondly to reconcile us and to comfort us again we've just said this it's hard news that Joseph has received it's understandable take yourself and put yourself in his shoes you're engaged to someone you love and then there's the appearance of infidelity it would be painful it'd be hard And you're still at a place and at a moment in the relationship that things can be disposed of. And so, you know, that's where he finds himself. But there's the testimony again. The testimony of the angel. And he says to him very simply, this is not what you think, Joseph. It's not what it appears to be. In fact, it's so much more. This isn't the doing of a wayward woman with a wandering eye. This is God's doing. This is not the result of sinful lust, but rather the result of the promises and the power of God. And the angel, appropriately, speaks forth the word of God. He testifies by the word that's already been given. And he quotes for him Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And he says, her pregnancy, this child in her womb, is a fulfillment of. Of what God promised. Think back hundreds of years. Think of the hope that the people of Israel have been longing for. Joseph. This is the time of fulfillment. He says to him. That he will be called Emmanuel. That's what he tells him. Now I want to tell you simply this, that the word Emmanuel or the name Emmanuel, it means God with us. It's so simple and Matthew gives us a parenthesis here. Just in case you don't speak Hebrew and his original reader might not know the full meaning of this name. It means God with us and this is a profound theme throughout the whole of the Bible. If you think back, we see it in the patriarchs, the old leaders of the people of Israel. You see it with Isaac in Genesis 26. The Lord testifies to him, I will be with you and bless you when you come into the land. He reaffirms this to Jacob in Genesis 31, I will be with you. In Exodus 3, we see this with Moses. Do you recall? He was told to go and to tell Pharaoh to release the people of Israel, and he was afraid. He was timid to go before this great king. The Lord says to him, But I will be with you. But I will be with you. We can think also of the Lord's presence with the people of God in the pillar of cloud and the pillar of flame. We can think of the Lord dwelling spiritually in the tabernacle in the midst of the camp of the people of Israel. God was with them. He was with them spiritually. He was with them symbolically and with promise and with power. But friends, I want to take your attention to something even earlier. And I would submit to you perhaps the most personal and intimate expression of the principle of Emmanuel, God with us. Think back with me to the beginning of Genesis, to the magnificent Garden of Eden, where God not only made a man and made a woman and caused them to dwell in the midst of a beautiful place with all that they could ever need, with food aplenty, but that he was there walking with them, talking with them face to face, hand hand, In hand, in fellowship, in love, and in holiness, they knew one another. They knew one another and weren't just neighbors, but as it were, dwelt together. God with Adam and with Eve. It's a wonderful thought. It's hard to even get our heads around it. How can God, who is a Spirit, be there in the midst of the garden and walk with Him and have a face? Is this some pre-incarnate Christ? What is this? Friends, I can't give you the full depiction of it, but I can simply tell you that I know it's true. It's wonderful. But what is something that gives us even more profound detail from Genesis? Well, it's that that relationship, that fellowship was horribly affected. It was affected whenever Adam transgressed the command of God. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's simple. It was Adam's disobedience to the command and to the word of God. Well, what happened? In the moment they ate, they were aware of their nakedness and they hid themselves because they knew that he would come again God always was with them he always walked with them he had an eye with which he could see them and they were concerned and so they stitched fig leaves together and covered their bodies and they hid in the bushes and they heard him walking in the cool of the day where are you Where are you? He called to them. Their relationship was shattered by the act of man, by the sinfulness of his heart, by his rebellion. It was broken. It was ripped in two. God didn't hide from man. Man hid from God. Broken. Broken. Unrepairable by the hands of men. And so the visitations were less personal. The presence of God less face to face. Yes, spiritual. Yes, full of power. Magnificent in symbology but dangerous to man because of the holiness of God. Can I see your face? Can I see your face? He said. No, but you can see my back. It's way too dangerous for you to see my face, God said to the patriarch. And what is the angel saying to Joseph? He's saying this, that child in the womb of Mary that child is going to change all of this. All of the distance caused by sin and the broken relationship and the loss of that wonderful family of creator and creature. In Him, it's going to be restored. In this child, it's going to be reconciled Two parties broken apart, brought back together in one person. In one person. And you're going to call him Emmanuel. So that you never forget and you're never confused and you never turn your eye away from the reality of his work. That he came to reconcile us to God. But you ask the question, how will he reconcile? Pastor, you told me about that break and that it was caused by sin and offense. How are these two things going to come back together? You said it wasn't repairable by the hands of regular men. And I'll tell you very simply, yes, that's true. But the angel tells us quite simply in the passage of Scripture how this is to be. He is not only Emmanuel who will be God with us, he is Jesus who will save his people. He's going to save his people from what? The wrath of God and how? He's going to give himself as a sacrifice for the people of Israel. He's going to die for them. He's going to stretch out his hands and be nailed to a tree because they deserve to be punished. He's going to die for them and He's going to die for you and for me. And He's going to bear the wrath of God against us so much so that as if it were in a cup, the Lord would pour it out until there's nothing. And this child, this Jesus, This Emmanuel will drink every poison drop of the wrath of God justly against all of our sins. There won't be anything left for me and for you of anger from the heart or from the eye or from the hand of God. That's how he's going to reconcile us. He's going to bear all the punishment and then give to me and to you all of the love and the kindness and the salvation and the fellowship and the family that he deserves freely if we believe in him. He came to reconcile us. But secondly, he came to comfort us. He came to comfort us. On Friday night, we thought about the incarnation for the first time in the season. Christ took on our flesh. That's what the word incarnation even means. fleshment, literally. He came to represent us, yes. To live with us in the creation that he created. Absolutely. But you and I are a whole lot more than just flesh, aren't we? We're not just meat. Situated upon bones, walking on feet, interacting like this or that. No, we're people with family, with minds, with suffering, with nerve endings, with attitudes. We're people with problems and weaknesses and an aching back. We're people who have diseases. We're people who have blind eyes and lame feet. We're people with hardship. And so whenever he tells, this angel testifies to Joseph that God is with us in that child in her womb he's saying God has come to live alongside you as one of you think about it about it in the scripture for a moment let me put Jesus Emmanuel in some relief for you Jesus had a family he really did a sweet and a wonderful family. If you continue to read in Matthew, you're going to read more about them, about a a husband who cares for a virgin wife who has a child, cares about her deeply. He takes her up and they run for their lives for the sake of the child. He cares tremendously. He raises this son as his own, even though it's his Lord, his God, his Redeemer, as his own kin, as his own flesh, in his household. And he teaches him what? He teaches him the family skill to be a carpenter, to work with his hands. That's not all he teaches. He teaches Jesus to worship his God. What do you see in the testimony of the Gospels? But a Jesus who is taken again and again to Jerusalem for the worship of the Lord. Jesus lecturing in the temple just as a boy with parents. Terrified because they've misplaced their son. I know what it's like to have a misplaced child. I'm still waiting to know that we left him at the church. Jesus had a family. He had brothers and sisters. He really did. They were a little bit dysfunctional and a little bit doubting. You see them coming to see Jesus, thinking he's lost his mind. The disciples say, your mother and your Brothers and sisters are here and they think you're crazy. That's Jesus' is teaching. Moreover, Jesus knows what it is to be in a family who lost a dad. You ever wonder why Joseph is not at the cross? The only clear assumption is this, that he had passed and passed a long time ago. He knows what it is to live in a home with a single mom with a whole bunch of kids The hardship that comes from that, even so much so that as he suffers on the cross, knowing he will surely die, he then assigns a friend to the care of his mother. Yeah, Jesus knows what it is to have a family. He knows what it is to have a mom that expects a whole lot of him and who worries a lot about him. Think about whenever they were at Cana. They're there. It's the beginning of the ministry of Jesus and they're at a wedding party and they run out of wine and Mary comes in grief and strife and she says, Jesus, do something. Come on. Can't you do something? And he looks at his mom and says, it's not the time. And still he honors her and honors his father and he cares for her request. Jesus knows what it is to have a family and a complicated one because he's God with us. Moreover, he knows what it is to be with regular people like you and with me. He was with blue-collar workers. He was with fishermen. Those were the ones he called first to be his disciples, and it doesn't seem that they were all that successful. Maybe they were, but at least on the day he came, there was measured success. Let me say it that way. And he called them to follow him to be fishers of men, complicated men, imperfect men, men who, well, probably told bad jokes and often didn't understand high conversation. You recall that people looked on these disciples and they were confused at how ordinary men could say the things and teach the things that they taught. He knew ordinary men. He engaged with tax collectors who were hated for their profession and one who was particularly corrupt in himself and who defrauded people. Jesus dealt with folks like that. The people you really don't want to have on the other side of the counter when you're trying to do business. Unpleasant people. He was God with even them Jesus was with common people who didn't have much money and who were often hungry and who were led about simply and easily like sheep after a shepherd and who found themselves under his teaching at a late hour with grumbling stomachs and nothing to fill them with. He was God with them. He's God with us. Jesus knew what it was like to be with parents who were hurting, who were hurting not just in a general way, but at the suffering and even the death of children. Think of Christ and his care and his miraculous work on the occasion of Jairus' daughter. The sobbing loss of the heart of a parent outliving their child, Christ, God with us, God. With them, he knows what it is to be near your mourning. He was with siblings who lost a brother, with Mary and with Martha who saw the slow demise of Lazarus. If only you had been here, Lord, if only you had been here. Did he rebuke them in their tears and their moaning? Show me where he has been laid. He wept, and through tears said, "Lazarus, come forth." He was God with them, and He is God with us. Likewise, He was with the spiritually confused. Do any of you know what that's like? Maybe you're here this afternoon, and you're a bit spiritually confused, or you have been in the past, and you think, "What is there to believe? How can I think? How can I do? What's right? What's truth?" Jesus was visited and over the shoulder there whispered the voice of Nicodemus inquiring about who he was. Did he rebuke him? Did he send him away? He called him to a promised new birth. He was God with a doubter, with a confused man, and with a man spiritually growing. More than that, Christ was also with those who were tormented spiritually. He even went to them, the really difficult people, the people who you think in yourself, wow, he's so far, she's so far. He was with people like that. Think on the Gadarene demoniac, so bad that someone chained him up in a cemetery, basically naked. That's pretty bad. I dare say none of us know anybody chained naked in a cemetery, so bad and cast out from society, but Christ went to this man he called forth the oppressive demons. Christ was with people who had illnesses and who were lame. He was with the blind man and healed Bartimaeus. Jesus came to comfort and to care for the people of God, to love and to console, to help, to be their Savior, and to be our Savior. He was the walking and remains the walking, living, breathing embodiment of Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is over, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received double for all her sins. Jesus can sympathize with the things that you're struggling with this season and that you were a month ago and a year ago. And He has a heart for you. Not in a theoretical sense as the transcendent God from everlasting glory, light of light, God of God. But very man, a very man, begotten, not made. That's who he is. Emmanuel, God who walked not just in footsteps, but in your footsteps. Who knew exactly who you are. And who died for you. And who pleads for you in your weaknesses right now. That's who He is. And that's why we're together today and that's why the whole world is shaken by Him to the point that everyone is thinking of Him today. Whether they intend to or not, whether they deny Him with their lips or not, or accept Him with their heart and rejoice, everyone can't at all in any sense escape the fact that God is one of us that he took on flesh and dwelt among us, and that we have beheld his glory, glory glorious of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And friends, you think to yourself, what do I do with that pastor? I can't understand that pastor. Well, let me just share one quote with you that I feel is profoundly appropriate and helpful to me To answer that question, Matthew Henry wrote in his commentary on this passage: The mystery of Christ's incarnation is to be adored, not pried into. The mystery of Christ's incarnation is to be adored, not pried into. So what am I encouraging you to today? To rejoice that Jesus came to save you and that Emmanuel came and lived as one of us and remains as one of us at the right hand of the Father and is coming again. Will you rejoice with me and praise him? Will you cling to him and profess him as Lord? Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Oh Lord, for the telling of miracles that we cannot explain except that you are great and filled with power and overwhelming in love and compassion to us. Lord, help us to rejoice in Jesus, to receive him as he is. Oh Lord, as a God-man who reigns and is enthroned at your right hand. Father in heaven, we pray that you would bless us, that you would give us saving faith, that you would shine the light of the resurrected Lord upon the hearts and minds of us all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.